Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 God, I praise you. I magnify you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We declare and decree your manifestation of blessing today, God. In the name of Jesus, we speak it, God, according to our heavenly right. In the name of Jesus. Glory to God. We greet everyone. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we thank God for those that are here today and for those that are watching us via Facebook or however you're viewing what is going on. We thank God. I was, before I go into the word of God, I was looking online this week and seeing the different things that, that were out there and saw something that Tom Brady said. And he has a new team. New team. He's been practicing with his new team in Florida. And they've been recommending that people stay away from each other. But contrary to the fear and things that are going on there, he has gotten his new receivers together. And he wants to develop a chemistry with them. He wants to develop a chemistry with them. And he has said, they've asked him, well, why are you doing this? You know, aren't you supposed to be doing this in lockdown? And he said, you know what? And he quoted somebody famous, and I can't remember who it is at this point. But he said, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. <laughs> now this is not a believer. This is a football player that has given himself to what he's doing in such a way that he is believing beyond the epidemic. He is believing beyond what people are saying. He is believing beyond what he's seeing, and he's believing success because when the football season starts, he wants to be in play. He doesn't want to be throwing the ball one way and his receivers are going the other way. He wants to have a working chemistry with them, and he believes, now watch this, this man who is unsaved, as far as I know, not a believer, is willing to take the sacrifice, the risk, and say, I believe that I am not going to get sick, and I believe that what I am paying as far as the cost now is worth the future benefit. Okay. That's what Tom Brady is saying. Now, I'm, I'm, that's what Tom Brady is saying. Now I'm asking, what is the church saying? 
Glory to God. We have people that are so afraid, and it's not, you know, like my wife said, we're, we're, we're all about being cautious. If you have pre-existing conditions and, and doing whatever, but I'm seeing people that are going to the grocery store that won't go to church. Hmm. Now, you're closer to the people at the grocery store than you would be at church. Because church, you know, we, we have obeyed those rules. We're doing social distancing, all that kind of stuff, you know. And, 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 and we're looking at this thing, and I'm like, what is going on here? And so um, last week, I was dealing with the, the series. We were beginning a series called Believing God. And we were dealing with what a real believer looks like. What a real, because society has changed what believers look like in the Western world. Last night I, I uh, switched to a station. We were, it was just for uh, a few minutes what, until another show came on. And we were looking at CBN, Christian Broadcasting Network. And we saw the people in Nigeria, the Muslims, Islam is killing the Christians. And these Christians are so courageous, they are taking the chance of worshiping God so that they can give God the glory at the risk of their lives. At the risk of their lives. Do you hear me? And here we are. I am very concerned about the Western church because we have this mindset and I'm going to get into a specific area regarding believing God and what a real what a real believer looks like. I did the basic last week, and I'm going to get into some specific areas in the week to come. And, and this this week we're going to deal with one in 2 Corinthians the 12th chapter. In your Bible, 2 Corinthians the 12th chapter. We're going to begin reading at the eighth verse. 2 Corinthians 12, and we're going to begin reading at the 8th verse. I'm going to read verses, I'm sorry, let, let, me, let me go here, my pad switched on me. We're going to be going to the book of Mark. Sorry, to the book of Luke. I'm going to be going to the book of Luke, the 18th chapter. Forgive the Corinthians, that was a. Uh, we're going to, to the book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Go with me there. Luke, the 18th chapter. Here we are. Technology, I'm telling you. Luke, the 18th chapter, verses 1 through 8, we're going to be reading. And the word of the Lord says, Then he spoke a parable to them. This is Jesus. That men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Saying there was a certain city there was in a certain city a judge 
who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my, for my, from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, she troubles me. She's after me. She's hounding me. I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, through, though he bears long with them? I tell you, that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? I want to talk to you about the believer's prayer life. The believer's prayer life. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We ask that you be glorified in everything that is said and done. Speak to the hearts of your people through your manservant. God, be glorified and cause no one that hears this to remain the same. In Jesus' name. Amen. As I begin to study this this week, you can really judge how much, how effective a message is by how much it affects the messenger. If what the messenger is preaching does not affect that messenger, then you don't have a good message. You just have a homily, you just have something that was spoken, you just have a teaching, but you don't have a good message if it does not affect the person that is delivering it to you. And this affected me. I had to apologize to God because of how much it affected me. And I thought about this thing, and, and, and as I was even on the way here, I thought about uh, the believer's prayer life. It's supposed to be part of life. It's not supposed to be an add-on. It's not supposed to be extracurricular activity when you get in trouble. It's supposed to be part of your life. It's supposed to be part of your existence. It's supposed to be part of your breathing in and out. Prayer is supposed to be that. With Adam, it was in and out. It was prayer. He was talking to God. God was there with him, in him. There was no discontinuation of the conversation. It was continual. It, he was in, he was in, in Adam. And watch this. God says, I want to be a continual part of your life. God, I, I'm going to tell you something, and it may seem off to you until I really get into it and explain it to you, but the Bible gives us the, it tells us that marriage is the same relationship that Christ has to his church. And the reason a lot of marriages do not succeed is because they compartmentalize their marriage. They have their marriage over here and their life over there. And it's easy for brother cheat because he has the wife over here and he has everything else over there. So he can walk away from that compartment. He can walk away from that part of his life, go over here and then come back. But I want to share something with you. I cannot go to the grocery 
without thinking of my wife. In fact, sometimes I think more of her than I think of myself, and I come back with more for her than I come back with for me. Sometimes I don't get anything from me, and I just get stuff for her because she is part of me. That is not something that I add on. She is there all the time. Amen. And so God is trying to train some believers how to deal with their marriage, but they won't listen. And so your prayer life, when you have a prayer life and you're consistently talking to God, God is getting you to the place to where when you get in a natural relationship, you can smoothly transition. getting you, I, I want to share something with you. She didn't come with a manual. Mm. She didn't come with instructions. Yes, please. <laughs> I, there were general things that I knew about dealing with women, but I had to get to know the specific one. So therefore, I had to involve myself in a relationship that engulfed and, 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 and encompassed my life. Yes, glory to God. And, and, and watch this, we were looking at last night CBN and in Korea, I, don't, I think it may have been Korea or China, one of those, but I think it may have been China, where they had a mass re-dedication uh, of marriage ceremony. And there were like hundreds of couples in this one place, and they all went through the ceremony together. That's the kind of thing you don't see here anymore. I saw it years ago, but lately you don't see it because marriage is being now. In fact, the media is saying, and the homosexuals are saying, you don't need marriage. Marriage is not a part of our fabric anymore in the United States. And therefore, we are disincluding God because God said, I want you to be married and show what my relationship is to the church. My relationship with my wife is greater than just hips, lips, and fingertips. Because truth be told, the weather's getting warmer and people are taking off more stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Hallelujah. So, so I have to have a relationship with her. She has to be with me when she's not with me. Because otherwise there's going to be some trouble. So, because if I don't feel her in me, if I don't feel God in me, then I have a problem. If I can take the Lord and put him aside and then do me and then pick him back up, that's an issue. Because then I'm not going to have a prayer life. I'm going to have a prayer performance. And so, we, we, this, this bothers me about the church now. This bothers me because we're in a place to where when we see people who achieve great things, we almost idolize them. We say, oh my God, look at what they're doing. I was talking to a, a preacher 
about a particular man of God that 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 uh, I, I I sometimes look at and and when and the preacher knew about him. I'm trying to be I'm trying to be very discreet here because I don't want to use any names. I don't want anybody getting mad at me. But when I said that, the preacher says, "Well, this person is just an extraordinary person." He's 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 another word was used, but I don't want to use that word. Hmm. He's, he, he's like, because I don't want anybody to identify what I'm trying to say. And that, that's not the, the basis for me saying that, is to make anybody look bad. But what he was saying to me was that this person is just special. Hmm. They have something that other believers don't. And, I, and immediately inside me, I was like, oh no, 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 no. All this person did was apply themselves at a different level. Come on now. The application was different, so what they received was different. See, what it is, is many people, no matter what their office is, and no matter what their title is, they refuse to apply themselves at the level that requires them to get the miracles they want. We want a, a, a Bible miracle with a 21st century mindset. We want a Bible miracle with a 21st century mindset. I want to be like Paul. Really? Are you serious? You want to be beat. You want to be shipwrecked. You want to you be by yourself. You want to have to send letters to people to send you clothes while you're incarcerated. That's what you want to do? Oh, no, I just want the miracles. I don't want to pay the price. I don't want to pray like you pray. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So, so, oh my God. See, prayer is not a spooky experience. It's something that God has commanded us to do. And we are to do it consistently. Real believers know the value of prayer. Now, I'm, I'm going to unpack the word value. It means the price, the importance, the usefulness, and the profit of prayer. It, the price. There was a price prayed for our access in prayer. Real believers know the price that was paid. And we do not take it lightly that Christ paid the price for us to pray. We know the importance of prayer. The importance of prayer. When you get in a relationship with God for real and you really have a relationship with him, your priorities change. Pastor Mary changed my priorities. When I got in a relationship with her, my priorities rearranged. People noticed it. And they noticed they were no longer at the position they were before. And there was some conflict because the priorities had changed. I had moved some stuff around because I realized the relationship that I had with her had to take priority. And not only that, but the believer knows the usefulness of prayer. The usefulness. There are certain things that I own that I use more often than others. There are certain tools that I have. 
Some of them I don't use a lot. Some of them I use a whole lot. Because they do more. They have more of an impact to what I need to accomplish. And a real believer knows the profit of prayer. A prop, the profit. The profit is a return on an investment. After all the payments are due. That's the profit. Or as we might say, the net profit. You pay the, what's due first, and then you get a profit. Well, Christ already paid what was due, so now we gain from his payment. We get a profit. So there is, I'm getting ready to get into some stuff, and this is going to really get you because God took me here, and I'm like, oh, my God, I, I didn't see this like this. Prayer prepares us to receive the answer to our petitions. Prayer does not twist God's arm. Prayer does, we don't pray and pray and pray until we convince God, God to give us what we want. Prayer changes us. 3 John 1 and 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So while we're asking for something, God is saying, keep coming to me, keep coming before me, because I can't give you that right now, because you haven't gotten close enough to me for me to really bless you with that. If I give you that now, and your soul is not at the place to receive it, it'll wreck your life. And you might say, well, why do I have to keep asking it's not even about you keeping on asking him. It's about you getting closer to him and him doing what he needs to do in you so that you will be in a position to receive what he has for you. And many times, he's saving you from yourself. I can't tell you the people that have said, I want a marriage like you and Pastor Mary got. Oh, do you really? You need to, then, brother, you need to sacrifice yourself. I live sacrificially to that woman. I'm not walking around telling what she's doing for me. Right. See, you got the wrong mindset. You need to be by yourself, buy yourself a dog. Get a pit or a German shepherd, do something. Don't lead a woman along, get you a dog till you get in the right place. Get a pet, get a goldfish, turtle, get a snake, do something. Lead a woman alone because you are not in the right mindset. Your mindset should be in a place to where you are a servant. And God has to mold us many times. And a lot of people don't want to do that. And they prematurely go into relationships. And the relationship ends up exploding. Why? Because they aren't in the right place to receive that relationship at that time. God had to condition me for her. She had gone through some things before meeting me. And you'll hear her testify about it. She, she had gone through some things, some abuse in her life, some, some cheating, all kinds of stuff. And God had to condition me so that I was sensitive to what she had already gone through. I couldn't just come in, I'm just going to do me. You just get used to it. 
She was, she, she had, she, people had abused her. Men had abused her. So in the first years of our marriage, I told her we are going to switch cell phones. I'm going to take your cell phone to work and you're going to keep mine. And if, if any numbers in my cell phone you are curious about, you can dial them if you want to. I want you to trust. I want to kill everything that's in your past that said distrust. Because that's going to hinder our relationship and our working relationship in God to what he has called us to do. That's just an aside. But watch this. So God is preparing the answer before we ask. Now, in the book of Exodus, the Bible says that the Jews, those of you that have watched the Ten Commandments, you know this, they, they say it on the show. They said the Jews were suffering under the Egyptians. And now the Bible says that the Jews cried there, in the Bible, it says it like this. Their cries, not their cries. The Bible specifically did not add an S. Their cry went up before the Lord. Now, Genesis 15, 18, this is way before they even go into captivity, way before Joseph is born, way before he was sold into Egypt, way before he brought his brothers and his father to Egypt and they multiplied in Egypt and they, they became the Jewish nation. In Genesis 15, 18, the Bible promises, God promised Abraham something. He says, on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Wait a minute, hold on. As I recall, they didn't go into promise till Joshua. But here in Genesis, God is saying, I've given it to you. This, this, this is perplexing because they don't walk into it till Joshua. But in Genesis, God says, I've given it to you. It's yours, but you can't manifest, touch it right now because there's something that has to happen in you. Watch this, Genesis 15, 13, and 14. Then he said to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. He tells Abraham, Your descendants are going into Egypt, and they're going to be in captivity 400 years. And then he says, And also the nation that they whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they will come out with great possessions. God began to prepare the answer for the Jews' cry before they were even born. 
that's a whole other issue. But watch this. Oh my God, this is so deep. Before they even got to Egypt, God had already. Now watch, this is even deeper. Before the plagues fell, there was an extraordinary hatching of flies. Before the plagues came, all of a sudden the frogs got in the heat and started having more babies. The Egyptians didn't even realize, they didn't even notice what was going on. But when the plague came, the frogs came out. And they were like, where are all these frogs? If y'all had been paying attention, you would have realized that God had been preparing those frogs long before the plague even happened. Glory to God. Oh my God. That's how God deals with us in prayer. You're not saying something to him that he isn't, that he doesn't know. He is waiting for your prayer because he's already seen you pray. He knows your need and he's waiting for you. So he's trying to establish you. Like Paul said, he's trying to move your soul into the place of prosperity through your prayer. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So, so I had to apologize to God. God, I'm sorry. I'm looking at you wondering why you aren't doing this and why you aren't doing that. And you're waiting for my position. You're waiting for me to move. You're waiting for me to get to where I need to get with you. You're waiting for deeper relationship. Because if I don't have deeper relationship, what you give me will mess me up. And you love me too much. To allow me to have something that I just want that will kill me. Yes. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. Isn't this good? Yes. Hallelujah. So, so even the locusts, there were more locusts produced. They weren't in Egypt because locusts travel and they didn't go around, but they, they were outside of Egypt and they began to have more locust babies. <laughs> glory to God. There was an extraordinary extraordinary season of locust birth. Yes. Oh my God. Hallelujah. Listen, you better pay attention to your life because something is being birthed that you're not paying attention to. And God is like, I'm trying to show you what's about to take place in your life. I'm trying to show you the manifestation. It hasn't manifested in the natural. So don't get thrown off. It's in the spirit. It's in the spirit. Is there. If you look close enough, you'll see something bubbling. You'll see something about to take place. You'll see something about to manifest. And it's about to break through. But I need for you to get in a place where you can cause the manifestation to take place. When they were waiting in the upper room, the Bible says that they, that they were waiting there. And that the indication is that they were praying. They, they were with one accord. Nobody was talking about something else. Nobody was talking about, man, I wonder how that new Popeye sandwich tastes. Well, nobody up there doing none of that stuff. Well, nobody talking about, you know what? I could use a couple of Big Macs now. No, everybody was with one accord. They were waiting for the Spirit of God to come. And Jesus had prepared a fallen, broken vessel called Peter to lead it. <laughs> Peter, the one who had denied Christ. Peter, the one who had cut off the ear of the soldier. Peter, the one who constantly had his foot in his mouth. God 
the point to where he was totally submissive now. And God said, now I can use you. Now I can cause you to be the catalyst that will bring my spirit to the earth. So, what did Jesus think about prayer? Matthew 14, verses 23 through 25. And when he had come, when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat, now he had told his disciples, he says, go to the other side. He put them in the boat. He put them in the boat with the remainder of the, of the, of the, of the feeding, 12 baskets. And he puts them in the boat. And now it says, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. If you notice, and we're going to go through a couple examples here. Whenever Jesus goes to pray, he comes back with power. We want power without prayer. Jesus says, you are going to have to do something. He goes up to the mountain. If Jesus, the Son of God, had to go and spend the night in the mountain to pray in order to walk on the water, why is it that we feel like we don't have to do anything and we just call God and rub him? This is wish number three. You just rubbing God. God is like, I, I, you, you got this twisted. I don't live in a lamp. You've been looking at too much TV. You've been looking at, you've been looking at too much Aladdin. I do not live in a lamp. Stop rubbing me. <laughs> That's a message to somebody. Stop rubbing God. So, Luke 6, 12 and 13. This is now it came to pass in those days that he went up to the mountain to pray. There he is again in the mountain. And continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them he chose 12 whom he also named apostles. So he had a big group of disciples. But after he prayed, he chose twelve. After he prayed, he chose twelve. He didn't ask them for an application. He didn't ask them for their degree. He didn't ask them for references. He didn't say, I want you to go and um, get references from your father, Mr. Zebedee. He, it says, after he prayed. So he knew before he came down out of the mountain who the twelve were going to be. And he walks up to this large group of disciples. And in the, the group of disciples, he sees those ones that he saw on the mountain in the spirit, and he picks them out. You, I saw you. You, I saw you. You, I saw you. You, I saw you. And you, I saw you. You are the 12. 
that will go beyond my life here into the New Testament to birth the church. This is bigger than you just follow me around seeing me work miracles now. I am going to establish something great through you. You just don't understand it. But while I was on the mountain, I saw your future. I walked past my resurrection into the birth of the New Testament church. And you all were the ones that I saw there. And not only that, even though I'm choosing the 12 of you, one of you is a devil. And I'm picking you too, even though you're a devil, because you're a stepping stone devil. See, some of the people in your life now may be stepping stone demons. Don't, don't get mad at them. Just, just, just let them do what they do. You know, sometimes it hurts because you expect different things out of them. But let them, let, let them go. Because in, in the end, ultimately, they're going to hang themselves. <laughs> Some of you all got that one. Some of you all got that one. In the end, they're going to hang themselves. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And you'll still be alive. You'll still be moving in the direction God has you moving in. You'll still, in fact, they are going to push you forward when they try to pull you back. Now, I got another example. In fact, this is my last example of what Jesus thinks about prayer. Luke 9, verses 28 through 30. It says, now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter, John, and James and went up to the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked to him who were Moses and Elijah. Now I'm going to go to verse 37 because my subject is not the transfiguration. We can deal with that in a little time. But I want to deal with verse 37. Now it happened on the next day. Wait a minute. They stayed up there a whole day. It happened on the next day. When they came down from the mountain that a great multitude met him. Suddenly a man from the multitude cried out, said, Teacher, I implore you, look, at my, look on my son, for he is my only child. And behold, the spirit seizes him and suddenly cries out. It convulses him as, as, as the, and, and, so that he foams at the mouth. And it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. So I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. So let me get this straight. For a whole day, while Jesus was up in the mountain, the disciples were trying to cast the spirit out. All day. Did, I, did, I read, did y'all read what I read? It took, the, the man waited and said, you know what? I, I mean, your disciples been trying to cast him out. They, they done bought olive oil. They done bought canola. 
They went and got some extra, extra, extra virgin oil. They, they got in their, their exorcist book. They read all the stuff they were supposed to read. They said, what, they, they got their book, what would Jesus do? <laughs> and my son is still possessed. So Jesus says, bring And in a few minutes, in a few minutes, what the disciples couldn't do in a whole day, Jesus did in a few minutes because he was in prayer. See, prayer will shorten the time that you have to deal with natural stuff you are struggling with for days and days and days and weeks and weeks. And God is saying, if you come to me in prayer, I'll give you an answer and you'll be able to speak to that thing and in five minutes it'll be dealt with. Deal with it when you 
got there. I'm going to show you what to do. How to do it. What to say. What doors to shut. What people not to talk to and what people to talk to. He said, I'm going to show you. So he says, thank you, Father, for hearing me. Yes. You've already heard me. You already heard. I know you already answered it. Mm, glory to God. See, the word of God is essential to prayer because the word of God is the will of God. So when we pray, don't just go into prayer. Take your Bible with you. Take some paper with you. Because the enemy, I mean, the enemy will be there too. He'll start reminding you of stuff. You have to go into prayer. I mean, you ain't thought about this thing all week. And all of a sudden, you praying. You know you got to go and pick this up from 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 there. You know you, you you need to get up and go write this down before you forget. In the middle of your prayer, yes. the devil reminding you of stuff you need to do. Yep. I got you, buddy. I got some paper right here. What else you What else you gonna remind me of? I'm going right back into prayer after you get through. And then you write down what God is speaking to. Write down what God, and, and, and watch this, the word is so essential. In fact, the Bible says in, 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 in Psalms, I'm just about done, Psalms 37, 4, he says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself. Find pleasure in spending time with God, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He'll give it to you. He'll make you more sensitive to him. So, 
in conclusion, the text that really started eating at me yesterday was Ephesians 3.20. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above what we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. We all have the same Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not come in pints. He does not come in quarts. But there is a connection. There is a way that the Spirit can manifest Himself stronger in some than in others because of the way that you surrender yourself to the relationship. depended upon and still depends upon how desirable I make myself. Do you make yourself desirable to the Spirit? There are days I wake up, I know I'm not going anywhere. I still don't walk around the house looking like a booger wolf. And some of you all that are listening, you may not know what that is, but that's just, don't worry about it. I'm still going to comb my hair. I'm still going to wash my face. I'm still going to brush my teeth. I'm still going to use my Listerine. Hello, somebody. Because although all I, I, I've been living with her for 18 years, I still want to be desirable. I'm still going to put on some smell good. I might be around the house, but I'm going to smell good around the house. I might be fixing something. But she's going to be like, mm, he smelled good doing that. Because I want to be desirable at all times. I want to be desirable. How many want to be spiritually desirable to God at all times? Not just when you're speaking in tongues. Not just when you're at church. Stop compartmentalizing and include God in everything. If you drive your car by yourself, and I got to get used to this. I used to do it, and I got away from doing it. Clear off the seat next to you. And say, Holy Spirit, come on. You sit right there. Jesus, you ride with me today. You my rider right there. Your thought process. How you relate to God. That's what, that's what drives your prayer life. I said, Lord, how do I get people to change their prayer life? He said, son, you can't really do that. They have to change their relationship. When they change their relationship, their prayer life will change. I had to involve myself in, con in conversation with her. Not in physical one-on-one -on -one with her. That's not going to do anything. 
That's going to cause me to get to know her better physically. But when she really goes through something, and she really needs somebody to talk to, you know, what if I'm walking through the mall with her and all of a sudden she's feeling something? And that happened. What am I going to do? Try to find a bedding store? <laughs> Sleep number. <laughs> Hello, somebody. Excuse me, y'all. My wife is now feeling, she, she, she's going through right now. And the only way I'm used to relating to her <laughs> is horizontally. So I, I need to, I, look, y'all, I need to minister to her right now. So can I use some of your bed, if you know this is a bed store, can I use some of your? And we have my pillows at home, can you? Now this is really, to, to some of you this is amusing. But, but, listen. You, we have to get in a place with God where we have an intimate relationship outside of the natural and asking him for stuff. Because after a while, those of you that are seasoned saints, when you first get saved, you ask God for stuff, it's like, boom, ooh, God, you good. And, but after a while, God like, okay, I got to weed. And the same stuff that used to take five minutes to come, now it takes a month. Because God is like, I'm not your, your, your sugar daddy. I got to get you used to loving me outside of what I can give you naturally. So I need you to spend some time with me. I need you to stop treating me like a microwave. And treat me like an oven. I need you to stop treating me like minute rice and treat me like the rice in the bag. The rice that you got to put in the pot and boil it for an hour. Huh? Uh, you, you listen, minute rice time is over. You need to grow up. And that's what God has been doing even through this time of pandemic. That's what he's been seeking to do with some believers is grow them up. Not on Netflix, on his word. Let's stand before the Lord. The believer's prayer life. What is your prayer life like? As a real believer, if somebody came to you and said, you know what, I've heard that we need to pray, how do I do this? Would you be able to walk with them in a prayer life and say, listen, I want you to call me on a weekly basis two or three times and we're going to pray. I'm going to teach you how to pray. I'm going to teach you how to relate to your father. And after a while, I want you to then be on your own and you will teach somebody else. It's people that aren't here today that need to know how to pray. And they come to me and Pastor Mary. I'm having 
having this problem. I'm having, listen, if you learn how to get in relationship with God, you wouldn't be going through all of this. We can't give you in five minutes what it took us a lifetime to 